Hello, and thank you for joining us for another session of Dedication, Fans Remember, the Bay City Rollers, hosted by Bay City Rollers Fan Events. I'm Suze, and with me, as always, is the lovely Laura. Hello, Laura. Hey, Suze. It's great to talk to you again. You too. We've been having a um, busy day today, haven't we, together? <laughs> yes, we have. A bit of a crazy day, ups and great. downs. It's been a great day. Um, our guest today is rock and roll pioneer, publicist, and our very, very good friend, Carol Klempfner, or as we knew her back in the day as C.J. Strauss. Carol provided publicity assistance to some of the biggest recording acts in the world. The Rolling Stones, Elton John, The Who, Jethro Tull, Aerosmith, just to name a few. She was also the Bay City Rollers U.S. publicist for their very first visit to the United States and beyond. And we're going to talk to her and ask her all about that and more. So let's get this party started. Are you ready, Laura? I am. All right, let's get Carol on. Here we go. Hello, Carol. How are you? I'm well. Hi there. We miss you. (laughs) We miss you. (laughs) Yeah, I miss you too. And there hasn't been a lot of time for socializing these days. Not at all. Yeah. So this is how this whole thing was birthed. You know, we were just looking for something to keep you know, content for our little community and to kind of just keep us involved in something that was fun, you know, and here we are. I think we have about 35 weeks or so of content. So, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So we thank you so yeah. much. We, we've been wanting to ask you for a really long time, but I mean, you did the 40th anniversary with us in Philly. I just didn't want to um, overstep, you know, and just keep asking. You're so oh. good to us. No, no, no. It's my pleasure. And I loved being in Philly. As you know, I brought along one of my daughters. Yes. She was, you know, we had a great time and we were so impressed by you. So, you all. We love you. Um, We will get to talk about Bay City Roller things. But first, um, can we ask you a few questions about how you got started in the music music business? Um, Sure. Was it radio that you started in first? Well, it, uh, strictly speaking, radio was my second job ever. Oh. I was a receptionist at a public radio station, uh, part of Riverside Church in Manhattan. And as a receptionist, uh, I didn't really have a lot of interesting things to do. But one of the producers there took me under his wing, as it were, and he taught me You know, he used me as an assistant, which was the best thing he could possibly do. And he taught me things like how to write press releases and how to produce a radio show and cut tape and things like that. And over the course of the few months that I was there, I saw that all of the interesting things that came into the station to his attention, books, movie invitations, party invitations, came from women who were the heads of departments in, in, in PR. Wow. So that planted a seed, because I, I obviously didn't want to continue being a receptionist in my life, but I really wasn't sure of what, what I wanted to do. So that's how you transitioned into PR? Yes. Well, ultimately, I got, I got uh, fired <laughs> oh, the station wow. manager. I, I was I was very proud of it because <laughs> I, I took a stand. 
I, I as a receptionist, I had to stay at my desk. That was my job, right? right? right. Stay at my desk, mm-hmm. um, look busy, although they didn't give me a lot of work to do. So I used to read my New York Times, but if I got caught doing that, that was not a good thing. Mm. And uh, one day, one of the uh, you know stars who came in to be uh, interviewed on the radio station was a French actor who who I loved, uh, Charles Aznavour. Oh yes, wow. uh, he had I I had seen one of his movies, Shoot the Piano Player six times wow. you know it was a nouvelle vague mm. you know uh truffaut directed it so i got the intern to sit at my reception desk and i went back to the studio to you know to watch. hang out and yeah. just watch Heck listen yeah. and watch well at that moment the you know shortly after the general manager of the radio station came down from literally the the church tower, you know, Mm. where the offices were, and uh, he said, uh, you know, I looked around the studio, and he said, "Uh, you go back to your desk, Mm. and I said, it's okay, I have it covered, Tom the intern is sitting there, (laughs) and he said, right, and I said, uh, uh, he said, "I, I told you to go back to your desk, and I said, it is covered by Tom, and this is Charles Asenvor. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, if you don't go back to your desk, I'm going to have to fire you. What a joke. Wow. So I waited till the end of the interview, he, as did he. He walked me back to my desk, and he told me he was going to have to fire me in a very nice way. Yeah. And he wound up uh, um, giving, putting me on together with a friend of his who was uh, a general manager, a program director at WNEW-FM. Oh, yeah. Before it went rock and roll. Mm-hmm. It was, this is ancient history, but the FCC had just ruled that FM programming had to be different than AM programming. And uh, up to that point, it was the same the same jocks on both stations, oh, okay. same programs. Right. Um, and so I, I happened to work at, at WNEW-FM, famous radio station, at the moment when they created independent programming, and they were, they were beside themselves. They were trying to come up with what can we do that won't compete with our super successful AM station. And they came up with, quote, the all-girl format. Is that right? Wow. And one of the original disc jockeys there, announcers, was Allison Steele. Whoa. Who had just come from TV. And another one was Sally Jesse. She, oh. she wasn't Sally Jesse Raphael yet. Wow. So, so that was a, a, a slice of, of uh, broadcasting history to be there at that point. Were you on air or just on the staff? No, no. I was just yeah. helping the program director for a couple of months. I, I used to work in public radio, and one of the major perks was letting letting um, people leave their desk to see who was down <laughs> doing the World Cafe with David Dye. I mean, from David Bowie to 
uh, Adele when she first broke. That was a major uh, perk for us. <laughs> I would not have gone back to my desk either. <laughs> no yeah, way. I, I, I took a stand, you know. It just, it just seemed inane to me, you know. I it was, but but it was all about power. So. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So when did you start C.J. Strauss, which is how we know you, or knew uh, you? Well, I, I mean, there were many jobs in between. Uh, over the course of the next uh, five, eight years, I think, um, I, I worked in a lot of PR jobs, uh, went from place to place. I learned everything I could, used my skills and whatever press releases, whatever writing work I had done to get to the next level at another company. So I worked for a book publisher, William Morrow. I worked for a statewide labor union election uh, and uh, just kept moving. But what I, and the American Cancer Society, what I really wanted to do is work in show business. Yeah. So uh, ultimately I was able to, uh, to find a, a wedge, get my foot in the door, and uh, I, I worked at a, uh, I got hired by the East Coast office of a West Coast-based PR firm that handled only rock and roll bands. Not a bad place to start. <laughs> right. And the first week I was there, it was just me and the head of the New York office. He had to go down to Florida to handle the press for the Jim Morrison trial where he had uh, exposed himself on stage. Right, you got arrested. So yep. I knew I was in the right place. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> so you were on the team so for I that? So I was there. I, I'm sorry? You were on the team for that? Well, I was, you know, I was the, uh, I was the office, right, you know, right, and, right. and, and I, I worked for them. It was called Gibson and Stromberg. They don't, uh, they're not in business anymore, but it was, uh, it was a fun ride and I worked for them for about, uh, four or five years. Eventually the head of the New York office left to manage a one hit wonder called Looking Glass. Oh. They had a hit called Brandy, Brandy with yep, a fine Brandy. girl. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm and surprised then, they were uh, just a one-hit wonder, but I guess you're. I guess they were. Yeah. But what a one-hit! What a wonder! <laughs> it's a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, they had a good uh, short ride, but a yeah. good one. Yeah. And then the company made me head of the New York office and VP. So I was there for about. I. Don't, it's hard to remember because it was 40 years ago or more. Uh, and uh, uh, when eventually it became time for me to leave, and that's when I started C.J. Strauss and Company, which was, I think, around 74. Now, you said that the invitations and things for PR events were coming from women who were in the business. Now, I was assuming that what you were doing was predominantly a male world. Was it, or were well, you kind of a novelty? Rock and roll was a man's world. I, you know, uh, it was a boy's world, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little boy's room. Yeah. Um, but uh, I found that, uh, and in, uh, I've always said that I, uh, my claim to fame, and I, I pat myself on the back for this, was that I could talk my way backstage, even sure. if my name wasn't on the on the list okay. and the way I did that and I was you know as young and pretty as mm -hmm. anybody at that point mm -hmm. was uh, just 
just staying focused. Don't take no for an answer and make it not fun for what the guy's doing security. Sure, and and you kind of have the lingo too. You would know the key buzzwords and things like that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm supposed to be backstage. You know, whoever it is is waiting for me. And, you know, know, I, I just don't take no for an answer. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, the name C.J. Strauss, was that purposely ambiguous? Or? <laughs> well, no, it was um, my my name. My original name was Carol Strauss. Mm-hmm. And uh, my middle name is Jean. And uh, I think it was my husband, Michael, who started, I mean, I had a cousin who would call me C.J. and you know, but Michael used to call me C.J. Strauss and Company just as a as a joke, oh, okay. even before I had the company. Um, so when when I did start the company, that's what I called it. Mm. I used to have like an alter ego, ego Sam Ross, when I didn't want anyone to know if I was male or female. And I mean, at the time, it it it, it served its purpose, but. These days, I don't yeah. need to do that anymore. That was going back in the 80s. If I was doing correspondence and things like that. It seemed to I, I seemed to have gotten um, a little further when I was Sam instead of Susan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid that's the way it was and maybe still is in some spots. Um, so is it yeah. true that, um, we're going to drop some names. Elton John was your first big client? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about that. And uh, in a lot of ways, when I worked for Gibson and Stromberg, it, it was one. But I, I do have to reference that the first real rock and roll star that I set up interviews for and took around to interviews was Bill Haley. Well, that's from pretty big. Bill Haley <laughs> and the Comets. And it was for the first rock and roll revival show at Madison Square Garden, and I think it was still the 60s. I think it was 69. I was a a child Mm -hmm. at that point, but that was was an honor. But but moving into the 70s, uh, Elton, I mean, we had so many bands on our roster, as I mentioned, from The Doors to uh, The Beach Boys and and Pink Floyd and Procol Harum and Jethro Tull, but Elton... Uh, at that point, had never been to the states. He, it was a new. He was a new act, as was Cat Stevens. They both kind of came up together. Yeah. Uh, and we had both of them. Wow. But uh, the first time that Elton and Bernie came over, um, I think Elton played the Fillmore. Uh, I set up the interviews and took him around. Took them both around because they did wow. everything together, and they were so wide-eyed, and yeah. grateful, and really, really nice. Now, you, you just mentioned the Fillmore. Did did Michael, your husband, was was he involved in the creation of the Fillmore, or not in the creation? Before we knew each other, he worked there oh. as uh, a stage manager. He started, I think, in outdoor security, and then became one of the stage managers. And Bill Graham. Uh, who who did create the film or mm. was one of Michael's dearest friends. Yeah, so he was involved. Became, in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going back to Elton real quickly. When when they first sure. came over, the two of them, um, did you have any inclination that he was going to become what whatever he is today? Well, we, <laughs> Just like uh, a legend. Who, who could have predicted? But we uh, all loved the album. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we just loved it, and uh, you know, and. He had such a 
you know, such charisma and was mm. so smart and so beautiful song to be with. Yeah, beautiful songwriting. Wow. Oh, I yeah. want to. I want to. There was so much going on in that time, you know, that it was, you know, you just didn't always know what was gonna break through. I mean, Cat Stevens also. It was a unique artist. Yeah, I mean, you're going from second to second in all these different, you know, good fires are, are burning all over the city, aren't they? <laughs> you know? Right, and meanwhile, you know, a band like Looking Glass is, is flaming out after one hit, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's just, you just didn't know what was going to take, what was going to really catch and what wasn't. There was so much going on at one time. Mm. And every kid in America was unified by their by music and their local radio stations oh absolutely w yeah. it was i don't know what's the same thing TikTok, you know no. the, uh, <laughs> i'm telling you i i often say that the radio was my best friend growing up i mean i was never without a radio a transistor a radio in the kitchen if i was doing chores it was my best friend, and those jocks were my best friends. I mean, yes. honestly, I just loved it. I fell asleep to it. I woke up to it. It was just everything for me. Yeah, they told us everything we wanted to know. Yeah, well, and who's more. coming in? Yes. You know, who's coming in from, from England? You know? Right. It was just great. Um, so did you really fly on the Stones plane? I did. I, I, not a lot. Yeah, I did once. It was a short hop i think to philadelphia or it maybe counts. to dc it counts. It, counts. <laughs> it counts and i was uh advised not to go to the front of the plane <laughs> oh lots of debauchery oh. going on up there i'm sure <laughs> you know I, I i was always uh you know i was one of those people that was content peering into the circus tent from the outside yeah I know exactly. I and, I did not want to get too close. And that may have been like the best times to be there, you know. I mean, I wouldn't, would you want to do it today? Oh, in today's world? Yeah. No. Yeah, that's... First of all, the whole cult of celebrity changed everything. Yes. Those people back then, those stars, you know, they weren't, they didn't have guardrails up. No. No, but nobody really was, you know, the whole thing about being famous was not a, was not huge. Like every kid in America now wants to be famous. No, it was so about they the can music. Get behind the, yes. Yeah. So, and they were also more uh, naive, inexperienced. Uh, it, it, people didn't practice their camera smile. Right. Like they do today, they didn't oh, wow. know yeah. the in, their interviews. They didn't know what to how to answer the questions. So, so we would always set up, uh, you know, a dry run with somebody. I did that once with uh, with uh, a band, a young band from New England. Uh, the leads they were, you know, they they were becoming seemed like they were going to become big. The lead singer hadn't really done any press. And uh, I had a friend of mine who worked for, I don't know, one of the newspapers uh, do an interview with him as a favor. And I met, this was before cell phones, we met at the office. I'm, I'm there with my friend Stan, we're waiting, we're waiting, you know, an hour passes, we're waiting, we're still waiting. There's no place, I mean, I called the hotel, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't there. You know, after about an hour and a half or so, I said, well, 
Stan, you're a great guy. Thank you so much. You know, and I, I you know, I'm going to let you get back to work. Yeah. At that moment, the front door bursts open, and in staggers this guy. You know, skinny <laughs> as a rail, wearing something that looked like his mom's bathrobe, oh, no. feathers in his hair, <laughs> and uh, you know, and proceeds to throw up on Stan's <laughs> editor's desk. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And and he said, oh, my God, I'm so, I am tripping my brains out. Nice. I'm sorry. And oh. that was Stephen Tyler's first interview. Is that <laughs> oh right? I was waiting for if you were going to tell or not. That is I, just I the best. I was going to ask, who, can you say who it was? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. uh, that's about right, though, if you think about it. <laughs> that's just about right. Obviously. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let's quickly segue to our little milk-drinking Bay City Rollers. <laughs> um, you were their U.S. publicist, for the listeners who may not know. How did that come about? When I was at C.J. Strauss and Company, I did, M Michael worked, my husband worked at uh, Arista. Mm -hmm. Arista had just started. Uh, Clive Davis uh, had taken what was Bell Records, and I think the Bay City Rollers were an act that Bell had a contract with. Yes, that's right. Like that. yep. So, um, so I was doing some work for Clive. I worked on one of those fabulous pre-Grammy parties and things like that. And one day, Clive calls me into his office. I'm, my office was literally around the corner on 57th and Broadway. And uh, he says, we have this act. We don't know what to do with them. You know, <laughs> uh, take a look and let me know what you think. So their manager, not Tam, the other guy, Barry, Barry. Mm -hmm. uh, was in town staying at the Plaza Hotel. And I arranged to meet with him at the plaza. I thought, fine, we'll meet at the, you know, one of the restaurants in the, you know, lobby or something. He says, you, you got to come up to the room. <laughs> oh, can I see my etchings? <laughs> so, you know, I'd been around the block a few times. So I was not, you know, looking forward to it, but I, I went up to his room and it just goes to show you that the, the famed luxurious plaza hotel it had its rooms, and then it had its broom closets. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Barry was in one of the inside, you know, you looked at the inner courtyard, <laughs> in, at the size of a broom closet. Oh, wow. But uh, on the second single bed in this little tiny room was a stack of scrapbooks that were packed with clippings. Mm. And that's why he wanted me to come up, because he couldn't carry them all down. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so he said, take a look at these. What do you think? You know, and it was all these clippings of riots and, you know, Bay City Roller madness from Scotland. Now, was he in New York specifically trying to, for lack of a better word, sell this to someone? Or was well, he doing other to, things to, here? To, to, to meet with Clive. Oh, okay. So you know, was who was purposeful. now the head of, now owned the, you know, whatever. Like to, to transition from Bell to Arista. Yeah, okay. nothing really had happened with them on Bell. And, 
and Clive didn't know what to do with them. Is is this something? Right. Find out if this oh, wow. is something. So I look, you know, I looked at those photographs. I think I showed you some of you them. Did. I think they brought you some of the original uh, from the Scottish press. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was incredible. So I said, "This got to be something." It's sure. really look at look at the the passion, the the wild, you know, <laughs> abandon on the faces of these thirteen-year-olds, twelve-year-old yeah. girls. Yeah. I don't know. They were young, and yeah. they were. I, I mean, I could relate to that. I, sure. You know, I had my. I, I I had started a Pat Boone fan club in my garage. We're not going to hold. <laughs> we're not going to hold that against you. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> we might. <laughs> I know. Why wasn't I into Elvis? I don't know. He was too um, scary. He was too sexy. That's why. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Looking back, Edwin hmm. was safe. Yeah, he was definitely Very safe. So safe, ever so safe. <laughs> so, so, so when you went over that first time with Danny and Lisa Robinson, um, did they like fly you over there and to say, "Oh, go, go figure yeah, this out." When, we, we put together, I went back to Clive and I said, I think this is something. It's not for my generation. It's not for me, but it's for my younger sisters, yes. all of our younger us, sisters, our us. cousins, or, you know, it's, we're, we're now in our, what, early 20s, mid-20s. It's not, it's not, that's not our music. Right. But I think this is for the next wave. So, uh, I think thought about it you know I thought who you know 16 magazine uh you know Danny Fields mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh Lisa of course Lisa Robinson was uh a legend what was it Teen Beat or I can't I can't remember uh, the magazine she had Roxine mm -hmm. and a couple of other uh magazines and and I just thought if we can you know the best way to get something started is is word of mouth so we brought them over and the other thing that i just remembered which uh doing was this you know in those days there was no email um it was right. pre-email you got press releases sent out by mail mm -hmm. we had to fold them lick the envelope yeah. you know stuff like that but i Looking at all those clippings, I thought we've got to use them, and I I had copies made of them, and I started a series of mailings to I don't know a hundred of the most important rock press, and each mailing would have a couple of pages of clippings pasted together, and uh, a card on top. Bay City Roller mailing number one, mm -hmm. number two. You know, I didn't say anything about them. I let the clippings tell the story. Yeah. Oh, wow. And between that and uh, Danny and Lisa going over there, we had a little bit of a drumbeat going. Sure. Did you did you not go with Danny and Lisa? I thought you went as well. Oh, I did. Oh, okay. I, did. I thought I saw yeah. you in those pictures. Yeah, I think it was uh, Arista. I think Arista probably paid for it. I honestly have no idea yeah. who paid for when, it. When you went well, over, were were there shows going on? Like, like could you actually yes. see the frenzy in 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 action? Yes, we, we oh, wow. arrived in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, there was a show there that night, and it was crazy. Oh. I mean, they had the streets blocked off. It was crazy, and the, the police were out, and girls screaming, and the tartan uh, scarves, and uh, you know the outfits. And it was just a. It was it was so exciting, yeah. and then the show you couldn't even hear the band, of course, because of course. the audience was screaming so much. But they seemed so sweet, the the guys. You know, they were yeah. nice young men, and they, you know, they didn't, they kind of didn't know even know what was happening to them. And I met Tam Payton, and he was, uh, you know, he was charismatic. Oh yeah, and seemed to have a good sense of what was going on. I remember him saying, "I don't know whether I've given them a blessing or a curse." Mm. <laughs> truer words, truer words. Yeah. So, so once you saw that and felt that, and were in the middle of that, um, did you know that you could make that happen over here right away? Yeah, I felt I felt we could, and yeah. that's that's when we went back and got that Bay City Roller bulletin. Going. thing going yeah it yeah. felt real you know it absolutely was real yeah you know it was real and and i thought it could translate but i <laughs> it was uh you know and then michael was working in promotion at, at arista and you know uh he got uh i think he got them booked on that howard cosell show well, there was and the one where they beamed in by satellite, right? And then they came over a few months after that. Right. Which one did they beam in on satellite? I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember. I'm terrible with dates. Was that Mike Douglas? No, it was Howard Cosell. They were on the show twice, but once was via satellite uh, from, I think, London or something. Laura, okay. I don't know if I'm right was or not. Was that a New Year's Eve thing, or am I thinking no, of something? No, th it was, I think so it was in September, and then in October was when they were actually live at oh, the Ed okay. Sullivan Theater. Gotcha. Because that was the 40th we celebrated during Hurricane Joaquin, right. remember? <laughs> yeah. So do you yes. remember much about that first time when they actually physically came? Um, the photo ops with Bob Gruen all around the city, and then of course yeah, the Cosell show. Yeah, we took them around. They they'd never seen uh, anything like New York City. They were they stayed at the at the Westbury Hotel on Madison Avenue mm -hmm. in the sixties, yep. which is kind of crazy. And girls outside screaming. You know, it was. <laughs> And um, what else? We took them to dinner at Maxwell's Plum, which was this kind of fancy, trendy, fun restaurant. Um, uh, I'm just trying to remember. We just took them around a lot, did a lot of interviews. Yeah, and there's lots, lots of photos of them, you know, just traipsing through the city. Yes, in different locations. Up top of the right. rock. Yeah, lots of... Yes. Now, how... Okay, so you said the fans were outside the Westbury Hotel screaming their bloody heads off. Okay, uh -huh. this is before Twitter. How did the <laughs> girls know? I mean, what was that? I mean, I know a little bit about how that happens, but how did we know before Facebook? We knew everything in real time back then. Well, we we uh, in the and we planners, we publicists, you know, knew that it would be. 
you know, and the manager, the American manager said, Bernstein, yep. we knew that we we were generating something, We, but we had to feed it. You know, we had it. Oh, yeah. Like, so, physically, how is it leaked? Well, we had that phone. We the hotline. Yeah, the hotline. It was in my office. Yeah, and when did you know when when that that line was busy, which it often was, we could talk through the busy signal. It was some kind of the, a weird, strange party line. That was not planned. No, I, 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 I it wasn't, and I'm not, and I'm not even sure how we found out about that. I mean, the hotline was probably in Sixteen Magazine, but if the line was engaged, you would talk through the beeps like hell. Hello, my name is, and you know we would meet people, and and we would get information. <laughs> it was, oh, it so was, awesome. it was, it was the craziest I, the, thing. The other thing is that you know everyone knew that I was doing publicity for it because I think Sixteen Magazine did a story about me, mm -hmm. uh, and um, the receptionist in my office. You know, we told her to, you know, don't. Don't give out the information like go to JFK at you know. So, but sort of leak it out. So the plan know? was like let the let the let the clever Bay City Roller fangirl who's pretending she's calling from so so and so's <laughs> office. You're letting them think that they're getting over on you by giving the intel. Exactly. Oh, I love exactly. it. I love wow. it. Here, here I thought yeah. I was so clever. <laughs> People have to discover things or think they discover things on their own. Otherwise, it's too spoon-fed sure. and it doesn't feel legit. I mean, airline, air, you know, what do you call it, gate numbers, everything. I mean, there was never nothing we didn't know at the exact moment. <laughs> it was just genius and, and so much fun, so much fun. Yes, and we had fun with it. We, we knew we were, you know, in on it and we... You know, it was just—it was just fun. It was like it was the first time that I had ever worked on an act that wasn't for me and my my people, my peers. And, so this was something that I could—it was like giving back. Yeah. You know, and one that wasn't that. and one that wasn't puking on you when they came into the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it was just so much fun for a long time for so many of us and our community is still together after all these years which is just astounding amazing. isn't it yes. i mean the internet has certainly helped that but we've met people that we used to write to from the back of 16 magazine as pen pals in real life you know 30 years later it's just been incredible well it says a lot about um your dedication and, and you know your passion for it but it also is it captured that moment in time it certainly did. when when yes, you were young when every anything was possible yes. you didn't have to pay the bills you didn't you know a lot of responsibility wasn't on your shoulders yet right and uh everything was expanding yeah. and well know? and we felt worldly because it was another country we were thinking about oh, and gosh, wanting yeah. to go to and i mean it was opening up our mind to different literature like robert burns and any, everything scotland you know it was it was a lot of fun Absolutely. there was no end yeah. to activities that we could keep ourselves occupied with it wasn't always about sitting down freaking out over the songs it was about expanding our world 
you know it, right it, it was so much fun i mean we just loved it and in scotland was exotic exotic it, you know yes. in, in a way and you the know, air travel is. was still new i mean you you got right. dressed up to get on a plane back in the day <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you had a plain outfit <laughs> yes now you come true. on in your pajamas and it's okay <laughs> right oh so the glamour is gone yeah well yeah. speaking about traveling did you do a lot of traveling with with the band I didn't do that much. I know I went to Philadelphia. I think I went to D.C. I'm not sure. Oh, of course, I went to Bay City, Michigan, when they were presented with the King oh, of the wow. City. Right. Uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, the, it, we came up with the idea that they should be presented with the key to the city in Bay City. They didn't know, you know, the story from Tam was that they had no idea they they covered their eyes, you know, he covered his eyes, whoever, and stuck a... How did they come up with the name Bay City Rollers? They covered their eyes, map of the U.S., and it came down in Bay City. Bay, it turns out there are five different Bay Cities in the United States. Mm, like oh. Springfield. <laughs> he And he had no idea which one it was, or and I had no idea whether that was even a true story. Mm. So... We, we, I looked into the different Bay Cities, and Bay City, Michigan was the biggest. And uh, that's, we chose Bay City, Michigan. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, was was there a time, I think you might have started telling a little bit about the story in Philadelphia, where a couple of the members of the band actually stayed with you and Michael? At your house? Yeah. Um, uh, who stayed? Uh, Les. And maybe Eric. Or uh, I think those two. How could she forget, uh, Laura? How could she forget I, which two? Come on. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they couldn't get any sleep, you know, in the hotel. And Michael was that kind of, kind of Papa Bear kind mm. of character, you know. And he, I think he was as excited to, uh, you know, have them sleep over kind sure. of thing. So we, we joked about it afterwards, how we shouldn't wash the pillowcases or something. <laughs> that is very true. I eBay. Think it, honestly, it, it meant more to him than it did to me. You know, um, I have to say. <laughs> well, he was, he was like you said, like a papa bear, but he was also, when he needed to be, a grizzly bear. You because you know, he, he was always he was always around with, with the bodyguards and I was like, Okay. Yes. <laughs> there there's the big yeah. guy. <laughs> yes, he I'm was scared. A of the big guy network. Yeah. The well hey, that they yes. certainly needed it, that's for sure. Because yeah. it could it could get out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. Then one of their uh, security guys, uh Callahan, Patty Callahan. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah. They certainly needed them. Um, he, yes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, I was just remembering that Pat Callahan and his brother Jim Callahan did security. They were two huge guys who did security for a number of bands, uh, as it turned out. So I'd always be surprised after the Bay City Roller thing to be backstage somewhere and and seeing one of the Callahans. <laughs> well, we weren't too bad. We just needed to be. Well, not me, but 
girls need to be picked up if they fainted or some of them would rush the stage but we were we were pretty good weren't we <laughs> yeah oh yeah you know it was all about safety yeah. i mean most of the girls were young you know you were yeah. young teenagers we were very oh, yeah. young 12 years old i think for me when it started very young yeah. how long did you work with the bay city rollers um did you go through all the member changes no i I gave up my business, I believe, in 77. So I probably worked with them for about three years. Because yeah, what year did they come to the States? 75 before anyone knew about them in this country, I think. 75, okay, the Howard Cosell so, Show, yeah. Yeah, so I worked with them for probably three years maximum. And that was probably about I, the, the, the length of time that they were everywhere. Yes, and uh, at that point, Ian replaced Alan. Right. Oh, yeah. Because Ian was, was it. yeah, Ian, Ian was at the first American concert. So that happened almost okay. immediately after, yeah. And then who was the second replacement? Um, uh, oh, uh, Pat McGlynn. He came uh, on. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was aware of that. So maybe I was still working on it when that happened. But, but I gave up my business, uh, uh, after a while and went to work you know three three four days a week because i wanted to have children yeah <laughs> so, well, that's a good reason so were there yeah. um any ray donovan incidents anything you had to fix any any <laughs> <laughs> or were they really just that good well there were you know the rumors that yeah. were always going around sure uh and uh uh, you know, I don't know that I could fix anything, but, you know, deny, deny, deny. Right, right. Well, that's that's what, right, <laughs> yep, that, that's what, that's part of the PR. That's a big part of it. And now right. even more so, isn't it? Yeah, oh, gosh. I, I you know, d doing damage control these days is oh, God. a whole different, different thing. Yeah. I mean, I still do publicity, but I, I'm not really involved with celebrities, thank God. Mm. <laughs> not anymore. It's a whole different culture, like you said. Yeah. Um, so, um, what do you make of us after all these years? Oh, you guys are an inspiration. <laughs> oh, come I on. I think that it's just, I think it's wonderful that you have been able to keep this feeling going, this wonderful feeling of openness and positivity, and it, and it continues. And you've captured that moment in time when you were young and the world was young and anything could happen and and you treasure it and it's it keeps oh, going absolutely. yeah i mean we treasure each other each other i mean that's what it's really become and you know the friendship exactly yeah exactly I, I loved hanging out with you at that uh what was it that first evening after the uh after the 40th anniversary yeah the, we had so much fun <laughs> Oh, it was just great. Well, and then you were good enough to come to our little sing-along in Times Square. That was fun. That was fun. Okay. Now, in 2022, we're supposed to be, mar well, we were supposed to be marching in 2020, which was canceled. Then 21's been canceled in the Tartan Day, Tartan Day Parade. In so, New York. In New York. Yes. So we're going to have you come over for that if you're, if you're available. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. I wanted, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, after you did the 40th um, fan event with us, um, you were you participated in a BBC produced program 
like almost immediately yes. after. How, how did that all come about? Because then the reunions happened. Right. I don't, I don't even remember. I know that somebody reached out to, uh, to talk to me about it, and I said yes. And at that point, I, I, wasn't, I was so much more comfortable not being in front of a camera. I like to be on the, you know, behind, behind the photographer. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I've gotten much more used to it, I was terrified during that interview. I, I just was nervous. You know, now, did, I really you, had, did you fly over for that, or did they do it you no, know, locally? No, they came here. They, came they did over. it locally. I think it was somewhere in Soho or Tribeca. And, uh, well, you couldn't tell you were nervous. It was great. We were, like, just so excited to see you. We're like, <laughs> we know her. <laughs> <laughs> we know her. It was just brilliant. And then, of course, the reunions happened. Um, so um, our last question, um, what do you think it was about them that had all of us so fascinated and still devoted today? About them. What do you think it was about them? Well, they, it was, what, five, there were five of them, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> and each one had a different personality. Yeah. And I think Tam was very smart in the way he played that up. And, you know, we took that and ran with it. You know, it was pretty obvious. So, and, you know, the, the playbook had already been written by the Beatles. You know, yeah. everybody had our favorite Beatles. Sure. So we, uh, we, we supported that. And uh, the fact that they were so young. Also, and the, the exotic aspect of them being Scottish, and they seem very genuine. Yeah, sweet. Absolutely. And the sweetness, and that they they even had pimples, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we could so relate. So it was, yeah. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a special time. The songs were fun and innocent. They put a lot of energy into it. And, and they were along for the ride, this glorious ride they had that Absolutely. you guys were a part of. Well, it was wonderful. And Carol, we thank you for your, you know, everything that you've had to do to make that happen. Thank you. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. It was, it was different working with them because it wasn't... It, it was a, you know, a little bit of a step back so that I could appreciate it from, uh, from a little bit of a distance. Yeah. And that, and that made it more fun for me. Well, that's awesome. We love you, Carol. Yeah. Oh, we, I love you, too. We do. I love you. I love being part of your, your, Our club. Your <laughs> Our little club. club. <laughs> you are an honorary <laughs> member for sure, Carol. Uh, thank you. A pleasure. Well, thank pleasure. you for doing this, Carol. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Love to all. Bye. Well, now, isn't Carol just the best? We forgot to mention this, but Carol is also a world-class ping-pong athlete and has competed in the National Senior Games. She is such an inspiration to all of us and is so wonderful to the BCR community. We will forever be grateful for her role in the BCR's American journey and for all of her hard work making them happen here for all of us. Where would we all be now? Hmm, hey, that would make a great song. Anyway, thank you all for listening and until next time, keep on rolling. Where will I be now?